everyone, it's Chloe, and I'm so excited to share something fabulous with you, Vogue's first ever global fashion community, Vogue Club. Our members get to mingle with Vogue editors, yes, including me, and fellow fashion enthusiasts at exclusive events around the world. And that's just the start. Membership opens doors to the fashion industry, bringing you expert career advice and insider style and beauty tips. What are you waiting for? Head over to Vogue.com membership to join. And here's a little treat. Use code TRT20 and snag 20% off your membership. That's TRT20 for 20% off your ticket to Vogue Club. Are you in? This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. This is The Run-Through. I'm Cho Minardi. And today I'm here with Laia garcia Furtado, Senior Fashion News Editor of Vogue Runway. Well, Chloe, I'll do Chloe's away. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Love to be back. <laughs> We're so happy to have you back. There's so much going on. It's a, it's a big week. We just wrapped Milan Fashion Week. Oh, my God. No? And I mean, and I guess Paris has just started, too. Paris has just started. Milan wrapped up. But before we get into that, you have a big week. We just saw the release of this Angelina Jolie digital cover. Yes. yes. Very exciting. Yes. What is it like spending a day with her? It was really interesting. She didn't didn't have any of the architecture of, of a celebrity. There were, was no entourage. You know, there was no PA. It was just her. And that was the first really surprising thing because there's just such a myth surrounding her. And she's such a huge A-list legend and she's talked so rarely that there would be it would be like a wall of people just to get to her but really it was just her and I in a room and we sat in this space that was Basquiat's old studio yeah I was gonna ask if you got to go in there it was hot as hell because it was literally raw they just signed the lease on the space so it it still had all of the things from the last, you know, occupants. The There was a restaurant there. But upstairs, it felt very much like the beginnings of a studio because it just felt like an atelier. And, mm-hmm. and we sat on these, like, raw benches. And, yeah, we chatted. You know, I think she's in a moment where she's she was, you know, doing work with the UN for 20 years. Yeah, that's also like a, such a big part a of big what milestone. she's done. So yeah. she's really in a moment where she's thinking about what's next. She's finding herself again. And I think that's why this fashion project has been so interesting for her because I think, you know, we all know that she's had a lot of life changes. She's obviously going through quite difficult divorce and I think she's at a moment where she's finding herself again. What what does she want to say to the world? You know, how does she want to dress for the world? And she also has six children and family super important yeah. to her. And her children are involved in the project. Yeah, that was super cool yeah. to read how, you know, um, her daughter, like, helped with the choosing the studio space. Yeah, they walked in and, and wanted the space right away. And I think she felt that punk energy there. And what was 
kind of interesting talking to her about fashion was that it's really conversations that she's having with her kids, right? And how they like to get dressed. I think she's really committed to this idea that we need to rewear, we need to reuse, we need to mend, we need to value the the sort of craft of also making. So she's got all these makers into the studio. You know, there's this like South African lace maker who's part of the project. And she's thought about what she wants when she, she and her family, you know, all of her six children, how they think about self-presentation, how they think about getting dressed and what's important to them. It's funny though, not to, I mean, not to change the topic, but, you know, this this idea of craftsmanship, mending, tailoring, right. like that's right. something that's that was really big in Milan. I mean, this I'm season, a Prada. You know, Can Prada. We talk, yeah. I mean, Prada was so beautiful. Yeah, it, it just, was. <sighs> you have to, if you're listening, after you finish the pot, go on YouTube, <laughs> look at the Prada collection. The pictures are beautiful, but you have to see oh, wow. these dresses in motion. Okay, There are these silk dresses, and as the models were walking— they had these, like, pieces of fabric flying behind. Like, it was, you know, people love to say ethereal, but that mm. was, like, ethereal. Wow. They were so beautiful. And then there's, like, cool little shorts and little satin, like, meals. Like, it was all very, very mutual. What do you think of this shorts trend? Because I'm not quite, I'm not convinced yet. But I know that the world loves a pantless look. So this this is destined to be on Kendall Jenner any any minute now. Yeah, I mean, she does love to go pantless. She's done it. She did that Bottega tights look from, like, last season or the season mm. before for her street style. I feel like it's very, like, it's half, like, remembering the early aughts thing, but I also feel like shorts are the final frontier of things that, like, haven't been appropriated in a mm. way yet. Like, obviously, the Gen Z kids are wearing boxers. Like, that's what yeah, they're doing. Yeah, I see that on the streets. So I think this is sort of like, well... A formal short. They were everywhere at Milan. They were at, at Gucci. Yeah, they have a new designer, Sabato Lasarno, and, you know, he's amazing. And he stripped it all back. But, yeah, the first look was big coat, mm. shorts, tank, platform loafers, mm. beautiful, chunky gold jewelry. That was actually my favorite part of the mm. and And a lot of, of people show. were talking about the, the bags, the reinvention yeah, of some of those classic. Jackie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're like, let's... We're in the business of selling, so it's very, like, there were beautiful things and it was very considered, but I think Mm. it was also very much a pivot to selling to Mm. more people rather than selling to a few. Right, So right. And there were other, there were, there was another debut, right? Peter Hawkins at... Peter Hawkins at Tom Tom Ford. Ford, A long-time vet of uh, Tom Ford. He's been working there, he's been working with Tom Ford his entire career. He started with Tom at Gucci... Then did Tom Ford menswear, and now he does it, and he looks a little bit like Tom. They wear the I same know, glasses. Same glasses. Yeah, uncanny. And then we have our fave Maximilian Davis, who I'm oh speaking God. to on the show. I can't wait to hear your interview because um, actually his collection was one like one of the best. I yeah. loved it. Everyone's talking about it. Yeah. It was so cool, so modern, mm. and it's interesting because obviously you know Ferragamo is a big house with a lot of history, but I feel like maybe because there's not some sort of like instantly iconic. Like, obviously, shoes and bags, but in terms of the ready-to-wear, beca- mm. like, that doesn't exist. And he can just sort of go in there with his own vision and, and create. Mm. And this season was so good. And I loved he 
the first two seasons, he went hard on the red. Mm. And then this season, he did sage green. Mm. And all of, there's a sage green leather suit that's to die for. Mm. It was just so, yeah, I can't wait to hear. Because it was, it was so good. So modern, so cool, mm. so clean, just like new, you know. I feel like we don't see it, a lot of new stuff these days. Especially because everyone loves to be like, remember this look? Well, here it is again. <laughs> I mean, I love that. I love a nostalgia. Don't get me wrong. But you know what I mean. Yeah. No, I totally know what you mean. And and what are you looking forward to with Paris? Oh, my God. Well, it's going to be Sarah Burton's last show at McLean. Right, right. Lots of farewells as oh well, right? God. Gabriella Hurst at Chloe. Yeah, Gabriella Hurst at Chloe's leaving. I mean, I always want to see Mew Mew. What else is happening? Um, yesterday morning, everyone woke up to see, like, pictures of the row who yes. has their... They don't show spring like everyone else. They show season ahead. So instead of showing spring, they're showing pre-fall 2024. Right. So it's like you see these clothes and you have to wait even longer to get them. I mean, not that I can get them because they're very expensive. But <laughs> still, you know, it was all very, like, loose, oversized, very the row. But the coolest thing about it was they've... I feel like there is a big trend now of, like, a non-shoe shoe. Okay. Which is... It's a mesh flat. It's like it barely looks like you're wearing anything, but the role originated it. Mm. And for pre-fall, they're doing these tiny little colorful jelly sandals that mm. feel extremely like a beach shoe, except they're not. And you're supposed to just wear them with like your gown or your suit or whatever. And they're super right. cool. And like everyone was in my DMs this morning like, oh, my God, look at this shoe. And Dior. I haven't had yeah. a chance oh, yeah. to fully dig into Dior yet? Yeah, so the Dior show was actually really beautiful. It was really witchy, you know, mm. like Maria Grazia is still doing her big, like, experiment slash collaboration with all of these feminist artists. So mm. there were, like, hints of, like, Salem witch trials. And, okay. And, um, like, it was sort of dark and moody and just, like, very cool, which I think reflects her in a way because I think yes. if you've ever seen a picture of her, she wears, like, sort of really heavy eye makeup, and she's kind of, like, a lot more punk yeah. than her clothes would suggest. So that's, like, really interesting. Meanwhile, I feel like everyone's talking about Taylor Swift's boyfriend and his fashion tastes. Her new boyfriend. The football yes. guy. But he's the fun football Guys, what's guy, what's his right? name again? K- Kaylor Solsiak. That's not it. It's something like that. I knew Travis was Kelsey. K. Yeah, he's worn, like, Jacquemus, and he's kind of, like, a, he's kind of a fashion plate. Is he the one that hosted... SNL. Yes, he is. Oh, okay, good. Are oh, you for like her? Him? Yeah, I feel like he was charming. Good for her. You know, <laughs> it's an upgrade from Maddie Healy, that's for sure. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> oh, we didn't talk about Bottega. That was amazing, too. Bottega was amazing, and you know, I think it's about their breakup. That's what you said. You I'm have a theory. Because it was all maps, traveling. They're, like, really serious business suits, men in business wear and ties and, like, big bags that are just, like, carrying their whole bags. And mm. everything is undone and open because that's how his heart is after, like, wow. he's it's broken theory. up. Okay. For everyone who doesn't know, he was dating. So Matthew Blasey, who is the head, who's a creative director at Bottega Veneta, was dating Peter Moulier, who is at Alaya. Right. And they had been dating for, like, 17 years. I didn't realize it was 17 years. And they just broke up earlier this year. Right. And both stories, they both went public with the breakup in res- in their respective profiles. Right. Matthew mentioned it in a New York Times profile, and Peter talked about it in the Vogue profile that's in this month's issue of Vogue, which you have to read. So Nathan Heller wrote this piece, and towards the end when he gets into the breakup, it's like, it's so heartbreaking. They've both waited, like, their whole lives for this moment. 
Then they had, you know, they had to choose their jobs and they're broken up. Like they share custody of their dog. I mean, obviously, you never know what happens, but in my head, they're still just like very much in love. And well, it sounds just, like, it, like was, it was amicable and yeah. they, you know, obviously the distance yeah. and the workload. Yeah. And then, you know, on the soundtrack at Bottega was Fleetwood Mac's Dreams. And uh, and everyone is saying that is the ultimate breakup song, is yeah. it? Yeah. It was just the first part. It's like, now here you go again. You say you want your freedom where who right. am I to keep you down? Like, ugh, crying. Oh. Obsessed. But you know what? Beautiful collection. So Ooh. And so full of soul. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you can never say about Matthew that he's... He like he does not make an empty collection. He puts his heart on the runway. Yeah, you feel it. You oh. feel it. Alaya, that was so great. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank it's you always, for having me. Yeah, it's always good to get your perspective. The run through will be back in just a moment with Maximilian Davis. We're Carlene and Jill, hosts of Breaking Beauty Podcast, the show all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. On our show, you're going to find hella inspiring guests like Emily Weiss of Glossier, and you'll get beauty tips galore from the top pros in the industry, like Kim Kardashian's makeup guru, and you'll hear skincare secrets from the likes of Dr. Pimple Popper. Plus, you'll get shopping help with our Damn Goods episodes, where we review the latest products hitting store shelves to let you know what's actually worth your money. Listen every Wednesday to Breaking Beauty Podcast. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Maybe a chef-grade range made you want to hone your cooking skills or a high-tech tennis racket made you want to work on your backhand. I recently bought a new pair of running shoes and that made me love hitting the pavement again. Well, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This podcast is supported by Macy's. Mother's Day is May 12th, and Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Shop by price, 25 and under to 100 and under. Category, like fragrances and handbags. Or gift lists, like for the mom who has everything or for grandma. Macy's has all the hottest gift ideas, like Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, Samsung smart TVs, and more. Go to macy's.com slash gift finder to shop. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder today. And we're back. And I get to speak to Maximilian Davis, creative director of Farragamo. You know, I've known Max for a really long time, so I was so excited to speak to him. I remember when we sat down over lunch in London three years ago and he showed me his first collection. So this was a conversation that was a long time coming. So much has happened, you know. He launched his own brand, and then he became the creative director of this massive Italian house. So I was dying to speak to him, and the conversation was great. So uh, here we go. Hi. Hi. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I was just remembering the other day, back to our first 
Proper Meat, which was at my one of my favorite restaurants in London. Oh, wow. Yeah, which yes. has <laughs> since moved, relocated, but it was it's on Warren Street near where I lived mm-hmm. um, growing up. And we met, and you you just kind of conceived of your first collection. Your, your namesake yeah. collection before you were at Ferragamo. So this was a long time ago. So you and I have been on parallel tracks because you were, you were just launching something entirely new. And we had this wonderful conversation yeah. about, about what informs the way you design. I think at the mm-hmm. time you were at Dover Street Market and I was begging you to get yeah. me a discount and maybe you got me a discount. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, of course. Uh, I did still I, have the shirt did, that you got me the discount for, so I'm very happy. Amazing, <laughs> amazing. You've had such a rapid ascent, you know. Like you've gone from, you know, you're 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 not even thirty, and you're at the helm of of a huge Italian house, and you know, you always, even from the beginning, had this cool breeze about you, like very level-headed and very clear sense of how you saw fashion mm-hmm. how you saw the world but yeah I think obviously when we first met or when I was first talking to you about my collection before it was a brand um, was yeah that was the first time I was honestly just focusing on myself and focusing on what I wanted to say out loud and publicly especially me working with other brands I used to work with Osborne and assist and freelance for other London designers um, I was always kind of researching subjects that they had an interest in or kind of mm. giving them information that was important to them. And I never felt there was always like some sort of disconnect. You know, I never felt like I was so, like this didn't feel personal for me. And at the point where I kind of took a break from working in fashion, my grandmother passed away and I just kind of wanted to take a break and just focus on myself and my family. But that also gave me kind of pushed me in a direction to kind of just learn more about my heritage my caribbean upbringing and um, which i never questioned or i never kind of yeah i never questioned um but when my grandmother passed away i really kind of just wanted to remain closer to her and i was kind of going through all of her belongings her jewelry her photo albums um and also i was just asking my mother and father questions you know i was asking questions but then also that moment when she passed away was just before covid and then we went into the lockdown and then the BLM, BLM movement happened, you know, and it, this is where kind of I felt a lot more comfortable talking about like my heritage and my blackness and just really having a sensibility to it a, a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when I was like, okay, look, let me look into my Trinidadian heritage or my grandmother's heritage of uh, growing up in Trinidad. And every year, me and my family, me and my sisters would go to Carnival. And they would play during mass and everyone would get dressed up. Like my my grandmother, her sisters, her brothers would get dressed up. And it was always a moment that the whole family would come together. They would celebrate. It was like a moment of joy and happiness. Mm-hmm. And there was a few things that kind of like brought my family together that bring me and my friends together. So music is one of them. Mm-hmm. Food is one of them. And kind of dressing is one of them. And the carnival was a moment where people would kind of create their own looks to either be a part of a band or a group or they'll create their own looks to kind of just be just to show their creativity or their freedom you know Mm. but what I was kind of more questioning was like what's the the reason of carnival what's the point of carnival 
you know, this just seems like one big celebration, but I'm not sure if everyone that's attending knows what they're celebrating. Um, and this is where I kind of understood that this was a moment of uh, where slavery was abolished in 1834. And this was a, a celebration of freedom for our ancestors, you know, and this really led me into looking at multiple artists or painters in that from that period, um, which I still reference today. Um, but again, this is where I kind of got that mix of the Caribbean ease and this kind of looking at Renaissance uh, statues and paintings for the way of dressing, mm. in, especially in my first collection. Um, that whole process really allowed me to kind of, or everything that happened allowed me to really focus on making work that was a lot more personal for me. Mm. Taking on a big house, it's a different proposition than it is than having your own brand under under your own name. I know that there's that signature red, um, which mm-hmm. has become sort of part of the, the brand. And I've been to Trinidad twice, two of my most life-changing trips <laughs> have played mass. Um, so Amazing. I know, yeah. So I the energy of, of Carnival in Trinidad is like nothing that you've ever felt. When you were thinking about conceiving of, okay, well, how do I approach this? Like, what were the things that you wanted to that you knew you wanted to infuse into into this brand, or what parts of yourself did you want to bring? Well, I feel like with my personal brand with Maximilian, it really played on elegance and it really played on sensuality. Mm-hmm. And when I was researching into the brand before I was accepted for the position, that's what I was really drawn to. You know, mm-hmm. the previous collections that um, they did in the 90s and also the 80s, there was like a very high level of elegance and sensuality in terms of the fabrication, the tailoring, the construction, and also the craftsmanship. Um, then once I started to research more into it, there was, I started to learn about more about Salvatore and the family. Mm. Um, and the, the, one of the things that really kind of made me feel happy in a sense of con- connecting is that Ferragamo is built, built on their family you know the family is the people that really kind of kept this brand going and one of the reasons why I started my brand was for my family you know mm. it was based on my grandmother and it, that was my first connection the second thing was obviously with Maximilian my main color was red you know my mm. first lookbook everything was red in the background the, the Trinidadian flag was red black and white the the branding of Ferragamo was a very deep red you know so there's mm. a lot of kind of similarities but then also when I was looking at the prints and also the the silks and the archives, it's there's very kind of basing it on exotic animals or kind of like Caribbeanness to it, and there's kind of this effortlessness that was running through the research that I was finding. Or when I was being interviewed, I really felt that I the brand has so many pillars to stand on that I didn't want to come in and disrespect what the brand has built so far mm-hmm. uh, for itself. I wanted to come in and give it a new energy, re-energizing what the brand stands for, what they've done in the past. And I came in, I was hired to kind of bring a new audience to the brand. You know, mm. the brand wasn't failing. It just needed a new a new light mm. to shine on, on the brand. And I felt if I, I need to pay respects to what was here, what's been done before, you know? Mm. And I think with the first... The first collection, it was really trying to stay true of the, the Italianist, the house codes, and but then also kind of bringing a, a freshness in terms of the aesthetic and some of the looks as well. But I think with the second one, it was really trying to understand 
or the second collection was really trying to understand the, uh, the silhouettes and understand who the Ferragamo woman is and make it a lot more clear. And the show that we just had is where I really wanted to mix the Caribbean-ness and also the Italian-ness together in one. Mm. People have really responded responded to this new collection, I feel. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. The response that we're, we're getting or that we had is, is really, I'm really happy. You know, I'm really, really happy. And my team are super proud. And we're, we're honestly, it's a great feeling. It really feels like a progression from the first and the second one. Yeah, and, and I love that your family were all there. I, I heard that your <laughs> your grandmother taught you to sew, is that right, when you were six? Yeah, so my grandmother taught me to sew when I was six. Basically, she was always making like her cushions, her skirts with elasticated waistbands, <laughs> <laughs> or, or her like curtains or like blouses. And yeah, she taught me how to use a sewing machine when I was like six or seven. And then I think when I was like around seven is when the Hoeen pants came back in, back in trend. And I remember using like a... Thanks, MC a, Hammer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I remember using like a jumper from Marks and Spencers and turning it upside down and closing the neck to make it Hoeen pants, you know. <laughs> so that was like one of the first things that I made. And I remember before I could even sew, I remember just cutting like my sister's jeans or like my jeans and trying to make mini bikinis for my sisters oh that my couldn't God. fit them at all. But no, honestly, like I think with my grandmother just always making things or sewing around me mm. was kind of the starting point. But then also my sister studied fashion design. Right. My father studied fashion design as well. So it's something that I was really kind of surrounded by growing up. My my mom does not love fashion. So I, I love yeah. that you you came from a family of people who really appreciated style and fashion. Like what were the kind of family outings that you would do? So the thing, so like growing up in Manchester, well, at the time there wasn't many luxury designer brands as in mm. the stores and it's always kind of in department stores. So it's kind of like a selected um, selection of the collection that you'd find from the, those brands. But my father did a lot of work in London. Um, so maybe every month or once a month we would go to London and this is where we could go to the flagship stores. So like the Versace store, or the Machina store, like all of them. And I remember going in and I remember going into the Versace store and this was the moment where Beyonce Crazy in Love came out, I think, yeah. where she's wearing the, the orange Versace dress. Yeah. Um, so I walked in and I remember seeing that dress and I screamed. I like, almost <laughs> cried. <laughs> <laughs> I almost cried. No, honestly, because it's something that I think when you grow up outside of like a, a main city and you don't have access to, um, well, at that time it was, wasn't that easy to have access to kind of luxury fashion mm. it, everything was on a screen everything was on paper you know mm. it was very difficult to find or to touch those those pieces so yeah that sense of reality really hit me when I stepped into the store and <laughs> <laughs> and no I, that was like my first oh that's a moment that I can really remember it's, I think people who come from London just forget that. They forget that mm. there's, there's a really specific experience to living outside of, and what it's like, you know. And I I went to college in Manchester and I, I actually really appreciated the style of, of Manchester. Can you describe like what Mancunian style is, is like? I, I really appreciate it. And like coming from Manchester, has any of that in, in you <laughs> influenced well, well, you? I, 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 well, I feel that. Manchester, the Mancunian part of me is like people are very laid back and very open. 
And they're I think just also the nicest. Like, they're the nicest they're people. Su- they're super friendly. Super, yeah. super friendly. I want to say too friendly. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> and honest. Honest. There's no bullshit. There's no bullshit. There's no bullshit. But everyone's super friendly. And I think that also the club scene, the music scene was so mm. huge there. That's so why I'm like there. A lot of, yeah, I feel like a lot of people were kind of dressing or what I was going up with was people were dressing to kind of go to the club. Mm. So this really had uh, an impact on how I wanted to dress, you know, especially with it, my sisters being te- a 10-year gap between me and them. Mm. And I was always looking up to my sisters and like how they were dressing or watching what they were wearing when they were going to go out. So they were always wearing like the miniest skirts and then they put like the biggest <laughs> jumper on top of it to hide how short the skirt was. So that kind of, <laughs> so obviously to hide it from my parents, but that really had an effect of seeing how my mother would dress and seeing how my sister would dress. Mm. And when I kind of launched my brand, or even how I'm designing or how we design now is that we want to have a collection that's for the whole family, you know, and yeah. trying to style it in ways or show it in ways that is suitable for one person but then suitable for someone else you know I remember saying that my first collection I would put like the shortest skirt with like the longest like frock coat you know Mm. whereas my mum would wear the coat and my sister would wear the skirt like I remember there was one time going to my first holy communion and my sister was wearing like a mini like rara skirt and then she came in with like a racer like like a racer vest and my mom was like where do you think you are going dressed like this <laughs> like no go back and get changed and she put a blazer on top of the, the top of the outfit and that made my mom feel a lot more comfortable so it was like those kind of elements yeah. of using tailoring to kind of elevate your look in a way and kind of mm. make it a bit more acceptable for church was kind of like a, a process or a motto that I kind of still use for today. How old were you when you moved to London because I always think about the club scene in London and I think uh-huh. about the, the creative scene that is there now and the cre- creative scene that you you know you were part of and you are part of it's very much rooted in like club life nightlife I remember w- watching the video for your first presentation and it just felt like oh my god this is like a, a sort of a beautiful fantasy of like actually and it infused with all of the kind of like grit and soul of going out in London, right? Like, what was it like moving there? And just, I want to know what you felt like finding that and discovering all of that. Get balanced or thrive trying. My name is Les and I'm the host of Balanced Black Girl, a podcast dedicated to helping you feel your best. Join me for casual conversations about what it means to live a well-rounded life. I cover everything from how to make friends as an adult to how to create a workout routine that works for you to how to practice better financial wellness. Tune in for approachable conversations with wellness thought leaders and inspiring guests, as well as intimate solo chats with me for relatable advice. Follow wherever you get your podcasts and look out for new episodes every Tuesday. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. 
Um, I moved to London when I was 18 and at that point I was just started going out in Manchester and I was so ready to move. I was so ready to just like find myself and find like my people and, but I didn't know what to look for. I had no idea where to go. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously when I first moved, I was staying in like student accommodation and halls and I was going to like the, the mainstream like clubs, so like heaven um fabric oh yeah you Um, went real mainstream (laughs) I went real mainstream but luckily I met a few people I met a few people Mm. in queues at the bar and that's when I kind of discovered like East London at the time was very like really cool and where the underground music scene was happening um and at that point I think I had a DM like a direct message on Instagram from Misha Misha Knock, oh, who does Misha. my casting. Yeah. He does my casting now uh, for Farrah Garman. Um, and she asked me to go to a Liam Hodges casting, mm. uh, which was taking place. Liam Hodges is a week. designer in, in London. Yeah. So I went to the Liam Hodges casting and I called my parents when I was outside saying, Why am I here? Why am I like going to this casting? Do I just go in, see what it's like? If not, just walk out. Everything's fine. Don't worry. I walk in. Misha's like, hi. <laughs> Take a seat. Like, it's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> and in my mind, I said, what on earth is happening here? You know, like, why is she so friendly? Why is she so nice? She's so welcoming. And then I think, I think I got booked for like one show. I think like a Helen Lawrence show or something. Mm. And I think Misha was casting it again. And that's when she invited me to come to one of her nights, which was the PDA night in Dalston. Hmm. And that's where I honestly met my closest friends today. So I met like Ibrahim Kamara, who's a stylist. Um, I met Virginie Homero, who's my hairstylist now. I met everyone there, honestly. But when I first went to these nights, this is when I really felt at home. I really felt connected with the people around me. And I think this was a moment where there was like a sense of freedom in the way of people were dressing, the way mm. that people were behaving. Um, and everyone was kind of just dressing or everyone was coming together to really see what people were wearing. You know, it was like the one night where people would dress up and call each other to make sure we're not wearing the same thing or the same <laughs> shoe. Or... PDA was a club night and um, in, held, held in East London. Mm-hmm. And it's such a singular and amazing look that I want you to describe like what, what you might see at a PDA party because they're kind of they were kind of legendary. The way to describe it, I want to say strings, a lot of strings, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of um, a lot of color, a lot of embellishments. I wouldn't say glamorous. I really wouldn't say glamorous. I think there's definitely a rawness to to the outfits. I would say there's a lot of stretch fabrics. <laughs> you know. Every, <laughs> Everything was like bodycon. Everything was to show your figure and to show like your 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 outfit and just make you feel good. But also because it gets very warm in the club, you know, so people would wear a lot less than they would wear on the day to day. So, what kind of music would would Misha and uh, the crew play? So I think the start of the night you would have a mix of kind of like your R and B classics, mm-hmm. and then you'd have a bit of like. Funky House from like the early 2000s. Yeah. Then it would go into like my friend Carrie, Miss Carrie Stux, uh, who's also an artist. She would 
really just mixed up Mariah Carey with like the most <laughs> scariest um, like heavy metal song. It's really hard to it's really hard to explain what the genre was, but I I would say that what Misha would do in terms of the lineup, each DJ would be known for playing one kind of genre. So, for example, like Yasmina Dexter, Pandora Street's Box, who's kind of at that time was playing a lot of like techno, a lot of kind of like house music would come in when I played that. And then you would have maybe like Akin or Hassani, he would play like really like Afrobeats or kind of like R&B or kind of like your funky house. Um, so it's, it was really kind of like a mix of music that really was very uplifting and also a lot of like unheard or unseen artists and and sounds. I remember there was kind of a lot of Kalela and release music that was being played there. Um, and also kind of like LSD XOXO um, was playing there and releasing a lot of the music there for the first time. So honestly, it's a mix. It's really a mix of kind of like creativity and random sounds, but then also your R&B, early noughties classics. I feel like you continue to have like a connection with music, musicians. I know you're you're friendly with Kalela and you've dressed her. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I remember when you t- you were telling me that Rihanna and ASAP Rocky ordered the collection separately. <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, so that they were the first order before the stores that, that wow. I had. So they ordered the first collection. They did like a very big order of like the jeans, the dresses. Um, and I was not even expecting any of that. I really wasn't expecting mm-hmm. someone at that level to really support such a young designer. And I think at that moment, the brands or the stores or the yeah, the stores that were supporting young designers were kind of like Browns and also Nessa Porter mm-hmm. just started at that point as well. So honestly, to have musicians or creatives supporting young talent was something I wasn't ready to accept. Mm. But I had to, obviously had to accept it because I was broke. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I honestly am super grateful because at that moment was those kind of orders really allowed me and my brand to kind of take the next step. I know. And now now you're doing like things for like Beyonce. I mean what when when Beyonce comes calling, what is it like what's the experience of making a, a custom piece for someone like her for the Renaissance tour? Well, that actually happened from when we did the Four Winter Show in February. Um, her stylist was there and she sent a picture of the Lame dress mm-hmm. to to my PR, one of my best friends, Charlotte, Charlotte uh-huh. Arif. <laughs> um, sent it to her and said, we want this look for Beyonce. And again, me being me, I was didn't believe it. I was shocked. I had to see <laughs> the message, the text message, <laughs> before I accepted it. And at that moment, that look had to go on hold. You know, like we weren't allowed to learn that look with anyone. And we weren't allowed to make anything else in that fabrication. Um, That look was reserved on hold for Beyonce. And it was on hold for months, like maybe three, four months before we could actually start the conversation. And they came back to us and said, yes, we really want this Lame fabric, but we want to see more of like the capes. We want to see more kind of like mm. drama. And they kind of gave us a brief of like what the show or the Renaissance tour was about. And me and the designers all sat down together, did some research, put together references. And we started to kind of like design maybe like nine to 10 options of what the looks could be with the Lame. And then we made the look and we sent it off to be fitted. And then that was it. We didn't know, we made the final piece and we didn't know when she was going to wear it. 
we had no idea. Oh so when I went to when I went to the Paris um, tour. Oh, so um, you've been. Oh, so you've had yeah, the of Renaissance experience. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I've had the Renaissance experience. She didn't wear it, but she wore amazing other brands and other designers. But then I remember waking up at maybe like 6 a.m. and I saw, I was just being tagged in Ferragamo, Beyonce's wearing Ferragamo, like blah, 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 blah. And yeah, it just happened. We didn't know when it was going to happen. We knew it was going to happen at some point. We had no idea of when, what time, what day. Congratulations. No, thank you. Honestly, big up Beyonce. What did you wear to the Renaissance tour? Because I felt like for me, people watching and seeing everybody dressed up was part of the experience. Definitely part of the experience. And I'm definitely not one to dress for to give people an experience. You know, I like to kind of... <laughs> I know you're... Just so everyone knows, Max is wearing a collared white shirt. <laughs> yes, I'm wearing I'm wearing a collared white shirt from Supreme. I like to dress... <laughs> I like to dress down. I like to just dress and blend into the background. So I think I was probably wearing a black trouser and a black t-shirt and maybe a black jacket. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but Low honestly, key. I think what what I find so amazing is like people really put a lot of effort and time into creating looks for the Renaissance mm. tour. You know, and I think that's so amazing that one person can have that effect on people wanting to kind of dress like them or them being yeah. an inspiration. You know, I, like one of my designers on the team found a girl on TikTok recreating the Ferragamo look, and oh, she did it very great. well. So. Congrats, More, but I think honestly, props. <laughs> props to her. It feels like a, a, a kind of a nice full circle moment to happen. Definitely, definitely full circle. So tell me about life in Milan. What are the biggest differences between Londoners or Brits, Mancunians and the Milanese? What have you learned? Well, the Londoners, they're very, they're always focused. They know where they're going. Right. You know, they're very like, they're rushing to go somewhere, mm. you know? Whereas in the morning in London, you're you're fighting to get on the tube, you're fighting mm. to get on the bus, you're basically being pushed off because there's not enough space. Oh, the <laughs> tube. Know? I'm not looking it's forward to tube. that. <laughs> whereas, whereas in Milan, I must say, everyone has like a, an effortlessness about them. Everyone's mm. kind of just taking their time, strolling to work, stopping off at like the local cafe and having a morning espresso and a croissant, a brioche, as they call it. Yeah. <laughs> It's a lot more relaxed and everything's kind of at its own pace. I can imagine. And also the cappuccinos, they just don't compare. You can't actually drink coffee anywhere in the world. I only drink coffee in Italy. <laughs> you can't You can't have coffee anywhere in the, other than Italy in the world. You can't have <laughs> pasta anywhere else. The tomatoes here. You've always been such a joy to speak to. So um, I was really looking forward to our conversation. Likewise. And it was just as it was just as great as when we first spoke. So of course, it's, it's as like, <laughs> and that was only so much has happened, and it was only that was like three or three years ago. It was the pandemic. Ago. I've been at Ferragamo now for over a year and a half, and then I had Maximilian for like a year and a half as well. So it's like just over three years ago. Well, I hope I yeah. get to one day have another sit down with you in person. Oh, of course, it's all of them. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, yeah. This has been great. Thank you so much. No, no thank Congratulations. you so Thank you. Thank you again. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. That's it for the show today. See you next week. The Run for Revogue is a production of Condé Nast Entertainment. 
The show is produced by Susie Lechtenberg, Chelsea Daniel, and Alex John Burns. It's engineered by Jake Loomis and Gabe Kiroga and mixed by Mike Kutchman. See you soon. Bye. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com.